fascinating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, this is Kale Clark. Welcome to the program. It's so good to have you with me on this Tuesday. We're continuing to roll through this week. It is now Stardate June 20th, 2023, in the year of our Lord, 2023. And I'm so glad that you're talking to me and listening to me on the show. And you can call in. Let your voice be heard. 888 888-914-9149. I almost gave you the, the number for the pizza joint um, around the corner. But uh, it's 888 That's the one that, that I call most often. But but this is the one you need to know. 888-914-9149. You can also email the program. The address is kale at relevantradio.com. C-A-L-E at relevantradio.com. If you want to join the ranks of the shadow producers of the Kale Clark Show, the chief shadow producer is my wife, Trish, but you can be one as well. And the way to do that is by sending me a show idea, maybe a question, something you'd like me to cover on air. The best will make the cut. And you can hear your story on the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And yesterday I told you about the surprise letter that Pope Francis dropped called The Grandeur and Misery of Man. Uh, in Latin, that is Sublimitatis et Miseria Ominis. How's my Latin? Uh, passable, maybe. Uh, never studied it in school. It's really coming back to bite me now, now that I'm back in the Catholic Church. Oh, uh, the odd Latin phrase always makes you sound uh, intelligent. Um, but having said that, I got a lot smarter reading this letter I think it's probably, and I was telling producer Jim uh, about this uh, just before we started the show. I think this is probably my favorite thing that I've read by Pope Francis. Um, and he, again, another favorite of mine is the letter he wrote on St. Jerome, the great biblical scholar. I mentioned that yesterday. But th this is, again, part of a series that he's going to do. And he's going to spread this out over this year, maybe bleed into next year a little bit. But these are people he calls beacons to contemporary culture. And he's talked about Blaise Pascal in this letter, The Grandeur and Misery of Man. And that's kind of a quote from Pascal. Blaise Pascal, the 17th century mathematician, inventor, invented the first computer, essentially. Invented the first means of public transportation. Incredible philosopher. Uh, wrote the Pensees, which is French for thoughts. It's a bunch of thoughts. It, really, he could have tweeted half of this stuff if he were alive today. And if he were alive today... He he would fit right in because he is absolutely, and I think it's very appropriate that Pope Francis picked this guy to write about because, man, he has just nailed the problem of contemporary men and women. Pascal, way back in the 17th century, what, what he wrote about is so transferable to our own day, to our own time. So we, we started to break down the letter a little bit uh, in the last episode, so... I wanted to finish that this off. I'm going to try to pack it all in, but I, I do highly recommend that you read it for yourself. It, it it's very, it's it's it'll push you a little bit, but but not too much. It's definitely digestible, and I think you'll really really enjoy it. Give you lots to think about, lots to pray about. So talking about Blaise Pascal, and again, the reason why uh, Pope Francis dropped this letter yesterday because yesterday was the 400th anniversary of Blaise Pascal's birth. And when he was only three years old, in the year 1626, his mom passed away. 
a great tragedy. Imagine your mom dying when you're only three years old. Essentially, he had just been weaned from the breast, and his mom passes away, and his dad, whose name whose name was uh, Etienne, was kind of involved in, in the legal world. He was a jurist, but he was also pretty big into science, mathematics, geometry, and he kind of almost passed that on genetically to his son, who became just a a wunderkind, a wunderkind. He would have been great on the Big Bang Theory. He would have fit right in with those guys because he was just a, a brainiac, a Pascal. And so uh, Etienne, uh, Blaise Pascal's father, he basically said, I-, I need to get my kids, now that my wife has passed away, I need to get my kids to Paris because that's the best place for them to be educated. So he took his kids and Blaise had two sisters, uh, one of whom was named Jacqueline, Jacqueline, as as they would say in France, and Gilberte, and, and also a, a, a girl. Um, maybe she went by Jill. I'll call her Jill. I don't know if her real name was Jill, but uh, but let's call her Jill for fun. And I'm sure she'll forgive me. Uh, anyways, uh, they moved there in 1632. And here's what Jill, his sister Jill, uh, says about those times and the way that Blaise Pascal was when he was a kid. She said, quote, from childhood, he could only accept things that struck him as evidently true. As a result, when he wasn't provided with good reasons, he sought them out himself, end of quote. So he, he just was obsessed with the truth. I, I love this guy because he was just, and kids always ask questions anyways, as you know. They're always driving, you know, why, 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 why? They're always asking that question, why? And I think that that's really great because this, this is the way that we're created. The inquiring minds want to know. Our minds were created to know truth. And this is what sort of was his obsession in life. And it was a magnificent obsession, of course. And so if he didn't get answers, then he would seek out the answers himself. I I love that. And so this is why the Pope says in his letter that anybody who wants to persevere in seeking the truth, which is a never-ending task in this life, we can never fully arrive. We can never say that we have arrived, you know, either in the spiritual life or in the intellectual life. Uh, until, you know, this side of heaven. If we're, if we're canonizable saints and we're in heaven, fantastic. Then we can say, okay, we, we've got to the, to the goal. But for now, the Pope says we should really listen to Blaise Pascal because he insisted that two things are really important. The aspiration to love. And, and again, we talked before about his, the one thing he wanted to do at the end of his life was to serve the poor, even though he was a brilliant mind, a beautiful mind, as it were, along the lines of Russell Crowe. Um, at least the guy he played, he, he wanted nothing more than just to serve the poor in, in love, show the charity of Christ. And so love and truth. And without love, no truth is worthwhile. And this is something that, that Pope, uh, that, uh, that Pope uh, Francis really wants to make sure that we know. So here, here's something that Pascal said. Pascal said in his Ponces, he said, quote, we make truth itself into an idol for truth apart from charity is not God, but his image. It is an idol which must in no way be loved or worshipped, end of quote. That's pretty powerful because there are a lot of people that seek truth, but they don't want to go beyond the truth. They, they, they want to know, but it's not enough just to know. Think about the devil himself. He knows who Jesus Christ is. It's like the, the demons. When Jesus was exercising demons in Mark chapter 1, he would not permit them to speak. They said, I know who you are. You're the, yeah, well, you know who I am, the Holy One of God, but you're not obedient to me. That's why you're a demon. Well, you're going to be obedient to me because I'm going to tell you, get out. 
and you will have to do it because I'm God the Son. But but the point of it is that, and James says this in his letter too, that so you believe God is one, great. <laughs> and I'm paraphrasing here, obviously. You believe God is one, great. Well, so do the demons, and, and they shudder. You know, it gives them the the chills if they can be chilly down there. If you know what I'm saying. But it's not enough just to know the truth. It's not enough to to seek the truth just to seek truth. We we have to seek the whole package because the fullness of truth, but also the fullness of love, because that's the missing piece. It's speaking the truth in love, as St. Paul puts it in the New Testament. It's living the truth out in love. That famous passage that's read at weddings, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is patient, love is kind, doesn't seek its own ways, rejoices in the truth. All of that stuff is how love looks in action, how truth and love unite. They, they kiss, if you will. And so... This is a really important thing that Pascal, uh, Blaise Pascal, tells us as well. So, again, he was he was only three years old when he, when his mother passed away, and he he just struck he just sought the truth. And what it what his dad was really blown away because when he was twelve years old, when Blaise Pascal was only twelve, his dad found him on the ground, and he was he was using geometry and just by drawing figures on the ground, he drew out the first 32 propositions of Euclid. Now, if you know who Euclid is, he was a Greek mathematician around the year 300 BC, very famous. He's called the father of geometry. So without a textbook, Pascal had stumbled upon these mathematical, geometrical laws, and he basically figured it out himself. And his dad was like, this is unbelievable. This kid's intellect is, is off the charts. But it's not enough just to have talent. You also have to work at it, right? It's like the old fable of the tortoise and the hare. And Pascal was very, very diligent, and he worked really hard so that his talent wasn't wasted. And that's that's really important, the parable of the talents. You don't want to bury that talent under the ground. And so he didn't have false humility. He knew he was gifted, but he but he used it for the glory of God, and that's what he tried to do. So when he was 17 years old, he started hanging out with the elite in Parisian society, some of the most gifted intellectuals and accomplished men of his day, if he were here today, he would have been chilling out with Elon Musk at Starbase, you know, in Texas. He would have been hanging out with, I don't know, great philosophers. But the bottom line is that he was learning a lot from these guys, and he could compete with them. He, he, was, he was right up there. And in 1642, that's when he invented the first computer. He was only 19 years old. He invented what was called an arithmetic machine, essentially a primitive calculator. But essentially, that was the ancestor of modern computers. So take that, Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak, the founders of Apple. Uh, Pascal had you beat in 1642. Well, at least he laid the foundation for you. So this is amazing. And, and the fact that he was into that, he was into mathematics. He was into all the natural world and the natural sciences, as well as human reason. The Pope said that th in this way, he kind of speaks to our own times because we are learning a lot of stuff and we can figure out stuff through technological advancement about the natural world. But all of this is part of knowing about God, too, and the way that God created the world, created the universe. This is all of a piece, if you will. And, and then the Pope quoted um, in this document the very famous theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar. You've probably heard of, of uh, von Balthasar, really famous. And B von Balthasar said this about Blaise Pascal. He said he trained himself in the precision appropriate to mathematics and natural science as such. 
so as to attain that quite other precision appropriate to the realm of being and to the Christian realm, end of quote. So he was really great with mathematical formulas, but he was also good with theological formulas as well. And he, so the natural sciences, natural reason, but also divine revelation, nature plus grace. And, and we know that grace builds on nature, of course. So he figured out, essentially what von Balthasar is saying is that Pascal figured out how stuff worked in the physical world, but he also figured out, and he didn't figure it out on his own, it was God's grace helping him, how things work in the non-physical world, in the supernatural world as well. And one of the things that, that uh, Pascal said in his Ponces, he said the church expended as much effort in demonstrating that Jesus Christ was man against those who denied this, spent just as much effort in doing that as she did in demonstrating that Jesus was God. And both were equally evident, end of quote. And by the way, that just made me think of this. Uh, today on the Faith Explained show, we were talking about the 10 evidences of the divinity of Christ from the Bible. So if you missed that, uh, do check out uh, the podcast series. And uh, part two is going to be tomorrow. So check that out. Because it is important to know about the divinity of Christ. But it's also important to know that he's fully hu- human as well, fully man. And from time to time in church, in church history, one or the other was denied. People denied that he was God. People denied that he was fully man. we got to have both. And to understand all of reality, and this is kind of interesting. This is what Pascal is all about. The natural world and the supernatural world, if you will, are united in Christ. He's the God-man. So we need to understand both, too. To get a total picture of reality, we need to understand the natural world and also the supernatural world. And Pascal was so good at this, and that's why one of the reasons why he's so good for today. So again, he was big into faith and reason. And we talked about that yesterday, Fides et Ratio, the great encyclical by JP2, that faith goes beyond reason, but it never contradicts it. Never contradicts it. And one of the big things about Pascal, too, is he had, he had such a passion to share this truth with others. And um, I'll talk about this a little bit more later, but he, he was not content to keep this a secret in his own heart. He wanted people to know about this. And he was, and he, the way he did this too, the way he shared his faith with people was so natural. He was a normal dude, despite his massive learning, if you will. He wore it really, really lightly. I don't know if you've ever met somebody like that who, who's, who's a smart person, but they wear it really lightly. It's very refreshing to meet somebody like that. 888 you're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 914-9149 is the toll-free line to call if you want to weigh in on this. So here, here's what here's here's a great example of this, and this is what Pascal wrote himself. He was talking about the philosophers, Plato and Aristotle. He said, quote, We think of Plato and Aristotle as wearing the flowing robes of scholars. They were normal people, just like everyone else, who enjoyed a good laugh with their friends. When they were composing their laws and politics, these are you know works that they wrote, they did it for pleasure. It was the least philosophical and least serious part of their life. The most philosophical part was to live simply and peaceably, end of quote. I love that, that Pascal was saying. He's like, yeah, Plato and, and Aristotle, they were normal dudes. I mean, it's hard to think of them like that, but they enjoyed a laugh with their friend. They're real people. And they wrote their books for fun when they were talking about philosophy. That was, that was fun for them. 
the hardest part of their life was actually living it out in real life, right? It, he said the most philosophical part was to live simply and peaceably. And this is really important because the, the question you have to ask yourself in life is, does your philosophy actually work in real life? Where, where the rubber meets the road. Does your philosophy actually work? And, and this is what um, St. Justin Martyr discovered, right? And, and we had his feast day uh, a few days ago on June the 1st. And, and St. Justin Martyr was this philosopher, and he was, he was totally looking for the truth. That, that was the obsession of his life. And he found this, this old man on the beach, and, and he found what he called the true philosophy. Because this guy was a Christian, he pointed him to Jesus Christ. And what I, what I love, too, is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look this up for you because... I just got to grab my Bible here. It, it, John 7, verse 17. This is really interesting. This is what I call the rubber meets the road verse in the New Testament. And, and I love this. Or you could you could also call it the proof is in the pudding verse. Uh, this is in John chapter 7, uh, verse 17. And people are at this time, they're questioning Jesus about, oh, how does this guy know anything? He's never, he's not a trained rabbi. He's never studied anything. What, what's the deal? And And Jesus says this, my teaching is not mine but his who sent me. And then here's the verse. This is John seven seventeen. If any man's will, or any woman's will, if any man's will is to do his will, to do the will of the Father, he shall know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. So that, that's a great promise there by Jesus. He's basically saying, if, you, if your will is to do God's will and you start actually doing my teaching, you'll know, you'll know whether or not it's from God, because it actually works. It coheres with reality. Verisimilitude, right? That $5 word, it coheres with the truth. It, it actually works. And that makes sense because Jesus is God, right? You would expect it to work. But that's not always so clear to everybody. Well, one of the things you can say to people is, hey, try it. You might like it. It's like Mikey with, with um, Life Cereal, right? Try it. You might like it. So at any rate... Um, other philosophies, always, they always fall short in some way. Like, uh, think about Plato and Aristotle. They were able to uncover some truth, but, but not the whole picture. Stoicism, and, and the Stoics are really popular today. There's this guy, this author named Ryan Holiday. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, he has this um, podcast called The Daily Stoic. Uh, really popular. He's written a lot of books about Stoicism. But, but here, here's, what, here's what Pope uh, Francis says. Stoicism leads to pride. That's that's the downfall there because you can you can think oh man I'm a stoic I've done this by sheer dint of my will I've, I've figured it out no you need more than that and then extreme skepticism there's a lot of really skeptical philosophies out there of life that leads to despair you don't want to fall into that ditch either this ditch of despair so so what you need is the true philosophy and he he said this too Pascal said this in his pensées and pensées just means thoughts in in, in French. He said, reality is superior to ideas. Reality is superior to ideas. And this is it. This is, the, this is why Christianity is the true philosophy, because it does work in real life. It can be lived out. It's not just ivory tower thoughts. It's, it's applicable at ground level. And Jesus lived it out, right? He lived out his own teaching. We works. And any saint, look at the lives of the saints. They've actually lived it out. And... That's why they've been successful in life, because they, in God's eyes at least, because it, it, it does work when you, when you live it out. And th there's, the problem is that right now in our, in our culture, there, there are people that just live through, through ideas that are disconnected from reality. Isn't that, isn't that the, the truth? 
And Pascal, according to Pope Francis, teaches us to keep our distance from these various means of masking reality, from angelic forms of purity to intellectual discourse bereft of wisdom. Nothing is more dangerous than disembodied reason. And Pascal once said, he who would act as an angel acts as a beast. So if you, if you're, if you want to try to have this sort of disembodied philosophy that you want to act like an angel, you're actually going to wind up acting like a beast because you're not grounded in the embodied reality of the human person. These are the illusions. Um, again, we talked about this yesterday. The famous statement, I think, therefore I am, has become, I am what I think I am. And I remember seeing this poster um, that was put up by the government and it was of, you know, it was basically like about gender issues, if you will. And, and the poster was this guy and he's pointing at his head and he says, my sexuality is determined here. And he's pointing at his head, not here. And then he's pointing below the belt. So in other words, it's whatever I think it is. I am whatever I think I am. And th this is not reality. So the Pope says, these are the baneful ideologies. We continue to suffer from these in the area of economics, in the area of social life, in the area of anthropology. What's anthropology? The study of the human person. The area of morality. All of these things keep their followers imprisoned in a world of illusions where ideas have replaced reality. So your philosophy, again, it, it has to work on ground level. And, and Christianity certainly does. Uh, I, I saw a very bizarre story. Maybe you saw it too in the news in, in the UK. This kid got in trouble in his school because one of his classmates said, I'm a cat. He said, no, you're not a cat. What are you talking about? I am a cat. And so they, they, there's a huge argument. And the teacher backed up the kid who thought he was a cat. And, and the, the other kid got in trouble. He was reprimanded for not going along with this. Well, I mean, he would have been like a kid like Pascal when he was a kid. He was totally seeking the truth and reality. No, this is, this is not reality. So anyways, Pascal's realism is what's so key. And, and, and one of the realest things he ever said was that, only God can satisfy you. And, and we're going to talk about just after the break here. This is 99% this is of the world's problem today. And he's going to figure out how to fix that and show it to us right after this break. 888-914-9149. Scale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Love to hear from you. 888-914-9149. Be right back. the faith so you can explain it to others it's the kale clark show on relevant radio and the relevant radio app thanks julie you can explain it to others that that's the whole point of pascal blaze pascal he's blazing a trail for all of us 888-914-9149 that's the toll-free line to call the kale clark show we're talking about this letter that pope francis released yesterday i highly recommend you read it we'll put a link in the show notes it's about Blaise Pascal. 400 years ago, yesterday he was born. And he, he, he's just so contemporary. Even though he lived in the 17th century, man, he invented the first computer. <laughs> I mean, he would have fit right in today. Um, but really his philosophy and just sort of nailing what was in the human heart and what, what's not in the human heart that you need to get into the human heart, that's what we're going to talk about right now. In, in this way, he's a lot like St. Augustine, where he just kind of gets the human condition. And the Pope says that um, 
Pascal's strength is his relentless realism. And here's what um, here's what Pascal said himself. Here's a quote from Blaise Pascal. Quote, It does not take great intelligence to realize that here below, there is no true and solid satisfaction. It's like the Rolling Stones can't get no satisfaction, right? There is no true and solid satisfaction that all our pleasures are but vanity, that all our ills are infinite, and that death, which threatens us constantly, will infallibly set before us in a few years the dread alternative of being annihilated or of being unhappy for all eternity. Nothing is more real than that, nor more frightening. We can act as bravely as we like. This is the end that awaits the finest life in the world. End of quote. Wow. So you want to get really real? You want to get really, really, really real? Nothing is realer than this, he says, or more frightening. That in a few years, we're all going to die. We're all going to have to face death. We don't know how long, but this is the problem. And so how, how do people deal with that? Well, guess what? They dealt with it in Pascal's day the same way they deal with it now. He says, as a result of all this, he needs to, and this is mankind, he needs to distract himself. He needs to distract himself. And here's what Pascal said, quote, Hence it is that men so greatly love noise and commotion, end of quote. So th- this, is, this is 90% at least of the world's problem right now, an inability to sit still in a room and be silent for even five minutes. And I remember, again, that Cardinal Seurat, another great thing that you should read, his book, The Power of Silence Versus the Dictatorship of Noise. Man, it's so on point. And this is it. And Pope Francis says, if a person does not divert himself from his condition, and we know how to divert ourselves by work, forms of leisure, relationships and family among friends, but also, alas, the vices, by the vices to which these certain passions lead, His humanity experiences its nothingness, its insufficiency, its dependence, its powerlessness, its emptiness. And there emerges from the depth of his soul ennui, melancholy, sadness, chagrin, spite, despair. Melancholy. Remember, wasn't that that the name of an album, Jim, by Blind Melon? Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness? That's pretty much how people live, right? Oh, Smashing Pumpkins. Are you sure? Okay, anyways, we'll check that out. We'll fact check it. Patrick Gale will fact check this. But, but anyways, here's the deal. Melancholy, sadness, that, that's a tool of the enemy. That's a tool of the enemy. And we're not talking about the sadness that leads to repentance, that, you know, I've sinned and I'm sad about that and I've offended God and i got to make that right. That's a different thing. And, and, and St. Jose Maria said that, okay, fine, repent. But after you're repented, after God has set you right, if you continue on in that sadness, that's spiritually not good. You, you have to, you should be actually joyful right now. Oh, I was wrong. It is the Smashing Pumpkins. Jim was right. All right, all right, okay. Round one to Jim. You got it. So Patrick A. Like, thank you for fact-checking us there. Errors and omissions. But uh, we certainly don't, don't want to make the error of, of distracting ourselves, as Pascal says, from the reality of death and what's facing us in the afterlife with a bunch of distractions, a bunch of noise, a bunch of whatever. And, and today it's even worse because of the multitude of distractions with which we distract ourselves. And so th- this is where the Pope says Pascal sets out his great argument. He's got a lot of great arguments, but he says this is the great argument. All right, so here's what Pascal said, quote, What is it then that this longing and this feeling of helplessness cry out to us, if not that man once enjoyed a true happiness, 
of which there now remains but an empty trace that he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in the things he lacks what he cannot obtain from those things that he does have. Yet none of these can provide it, for this infinite abyss cannot be bridged except by an infinite and immutable object, which is God himself, end of quote. So, so basically that's Pascal's way of saying what St. Augustine said when he said in the Confessions, you've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. This is it. And he says, you know, all of these, these feelings, these longings that we have, it's kind of this like vestiges left over from the Garden of Eden, you know, that we once enjoyed a true happiness before sin came into the world. But now there's this there's like traces of it that's still there, these traces of glory, if you will. But we, we try to find this. We try to find the, the, the rest of it by filling, filling ourselves with everything that we can find. Uh, but we can't do it. We can't do it. And we think, oh, if only I had this, this thing that I lack. You know, I, I need the new Apple Watch Ultra. You know, that'll make me happy. No, I mean, I, I have the Series 7, and, and that, I, that didn't make me happy. Well, it did for like a week. But uh, if I get the Ultra, then that will be totally satisfied. No, of course you won't be. Um, it's a cool gadget, but Pascal would probably admire it because he invented the first computer. But, but we've got this infinite abyss, he says, and, and only an infinite and immutable, unchanging object can fill that, and that's God himself. So why don't we just try that? <laughs> you, know, you can't try it. You've tried everything else. There's, you might as well. And, and this is why the Pope called this letter the grandeur and the misery of man. Because Pascal says, now look, he says, quote, the greatness and wretchedness of man are so evident. They're so evident. And we, there's this greatness of human life. We see it. We see sort of flashes of the brilliance of human life and human love in nature in a beautiful spring day. The crack of a baseball bat at the new Bush Stadium. I threw that in for you, Jim. Uh, all of these are like a little, you know, little, mm, and these these are sort of the you know vestiges of greatness, but it's also the wretchedness of human beings, right? The sin is all around. So Pascal says the true religion, whatever the true religion is, it has to necessarily teach us that both are there in man. There's grandeur and also wretchedness, and these are astonishing contradictions. But this can only be figured out that by by God's grace. So Pascal says it's in vain that you seek in yourselves the remedy for your miseries. And, and we always hear about people saying, oh, I need to go find myself. I'm going to go backpacking in Europe and find myself. Or look within, you know. Um, Aaron Rodgers and his four days of darkness. You're not going to find anything there. I mean, it, you, you got, it's got to be outside yourself. And, and this is why we have divine revelation. Now, you can certainly pick up on some things for sure, but for the full package, you need divine revelation. And this is why, remember when we talked about his, yesterday we talked about his night of fire, this great experience that he had, this mystical experience, and that was on the 23rd of November, 1654. He called it the night of fire. He had this experience with God that was so powerful, he wrote it down, and what he wrote down, he sewed it into his jacket, and, and they found it after he died. They, they I guess, they, oh, there's something in his coat here. They, oh, wow. So on this night, from 10.30 p.m. until 12.30 in the morning, he experienced really the presence of God, just like Moses experienced it in the burning bush. 
And that's why he called, he, the first thing he wrote down was fire in capital letters. Fire, fire, fire. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Oh, by the way, that's exactly how God introduced himself to Moses at the burning bush. Uh, Pope Francis picks up on that. And then he says, not of the philosophers and the sages, certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ. And this is, this is what he experienced. It's who he experienced. It was God. And that, that was what he was longing for. It was kind of this missing piece. Yeah. Um, we can seek out God through the natural world and learn some things about him through his creation. But we also need to have a revelation to figure out who he is and what he wants. We have this in the church. And so at the end of this, he just, he just wrote down joy, 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 tears of joy. Like he found it. He found it. He had it. And, and he said, this is not an impersonal, abstract God. This is not the cosmic God. It's not some cosmic watchmaker out there like uh, the deists believe in. No, this guy is like intimately involved in, in our lives. And so this is what he found. And, and he, had, he, he just he had to share this with people. He had to share this with people. Once he, once he found this, it wasn't enough for him to keep it a secret. He was so passionate about evangelism and uh anyways but, but he always said you know when you when you do this and he's very much along the lines of the catholic tradition and and this idea of he's the god who proposes he never imposes he's never going to compel belief he's never going to force belief um pope francis talks about that a lot he says the love of god never imposes itself it's like human love right that's why one of the things you need for, for a valid marriage is it has to be free. Love has to be free. It can never be coerced or imposed from the outside. Your mother-in-law is making you do this. No, it has to be free. Otherwise, it's not a valid marriage, right? So um, free, total, faithful, and fruitful. And, and, and if you're going to accept this, it's, it's a reasonable faith. It is reasonable. It's in accord with reason, but it's still a gift of God. And you, you can't impose it. So what you can try to do is set up the conditions for your friends and family to to receive that faith but you can't you can't sort of force that to happen but you can you can try to put them in the in the best position for it to happen pascal says faith differs from proof one is human while the other is god's gift okay so faith is different from proof um we we i think there are ways to to show how christianity is reasonable certainly reasonable um, can we prove it? Can we can we compel belief through proof? Um, just like we, we explain to somebody the law of gravity. Uh, no, we we can't really compel belief in that way. We can't say, oh, people aren't going to say, all right, all right, all right, you got me there. They, they need faith as well. I mean, maybe St. Paul, because God sort of took away his freedom and Jesus revealed himself from heaven and said, yeah, I am the guy. Oh, okay, okay, now I will support you now. <laughs> um, okay, you got me. I can't, I can't, I can't argue against this, but... But this is, what does he mean by that? Faith differs from proof. He's basically saying that proof alone, the evidences that we have for the faith, it's not going to convince someone by itself. But if you have proof or the evidence plus the gift of faith, if God grants them the gift of faith, that, that gives you what we would call certitude. And that's what he said in his Night of Fire. Certitude, certitude, certitude. That you know, that you know, that you know, that you know, right? That's the, that's what we want to have, right? That's what we're shooting for here. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, talking about the Pope's new letter on Blaise Pascal, who is really, uh, yeah, he's from the 17th century, but he's really 
a man for all time, a man for our times, in the way that he understood the faith, the way that he thought about it, and it can really reach modern people. And, and, and Pascal, the Pope says he, he, he knew that some men and women, not only do they not know Jesus Christ, and it's, sometimes it's out of pure laziness, they just don't want to think about it. Sometimes it's due to their passions, because they have sins that they just don't want to give up. But they, for whatever reason, they just don't want to take the gospel seriously. And for Pascal, that's unacceptable. Because he says your very life is at stake. Pascal said, quote, the immortality of the soul is so important to us, something that touches us so deeply that we need to have lost all feeling to be unconcerned with knowing what is at stake. And that is why among those who are not convinced about this, I would distinguish, distinguish clearly between those who make every effort to investigate it and those who go about their lives without being concerned about it or thinking of it, end of quote. So, so what's he basically saying there? He, he's basically saying that he, he just can't conceive of people not caring about this. You've got an immortal soul. You're going to face eternity at some point, some years down the road, or maybe a few days down the road, who knows? And to not want to deal with this and not be concerned about this? He just, he just, he just, he can't conceive of it. He, uh, and and I, I can identify a lot with Pascal because uh, that was what I was like when I was in university. When I started finding out more about Jesus Christ, I, I wanted to get this thing right, you know, because if, if Christ is really risen from the dead, as St. Paul says in, 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 the, in the New Testament, if he hasn't risen from the dead, then our preaching is useless and so is your faith. This is all just a joke. We're wasting our time here. We're wasting our time on relevant radio trying to bring Christ to the world through the media. If this didn't happen then none of this makes sense. We need to find a new philosophy. But if it did happen, then we better start paying attention to what Jesus Christ said and what he taught. We have to do it because th this is reality. Then you can confidently base the rest of your life on, on this. And th So, again, we, we, this is pretty much, I mean, there's a few more things I could say here, but um, I, I urge you to read this letter. It's really, really well done. It's really, really well done. And I'll just close with this. This is how the Pope closes the letter. And we talked about the death of Pascal in the year 1659. He was only 39 years old. And he asked, he, he composed this prayer. Uh, and it was the prayer to ask of God the proper use of sickness. And he's like, how can I use the, even my sickness for the glory of God? So he wasn't doing apologetics at this point. He wasn't debating people. He was dying. And he said, look, I want to receive Holy Communion, my last Holy Communion. But he, but he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. It wasn't possible. For whatever reason, they couldn't find a priest. Or, so he asked his sister Hey, listen, I cannot communicate. Literally, I cannot communicate with the head of the church, Jesus Christ. So what's the best I can do here? Let me communicate in the members, in the members of the church. So he's like, bring me to the poor so I can die in the company of the poor. And how beautiful is that? And then it's, it is said that when he took his last breath on the 19th of August in 1662, he died with the simplicity of a child. And that's so beautiful because he was so learned. He was so brilliant. But, but in his soul before God, he was like a child. And that's, that's the way that we have to be as well. Jesus said you have to turn and become like little children. So he finally did. He did, thank God, he received his last Holy Communion at that point. And um, the, uh, the anointing of the sick, of course. And his last words were, may God never abandon me. And so I just love that. And so let me just quote the Pope here. This is the last thing he said. He said, May the brilliant work of Blaise Pascal and the example of his life, so profoundly immersed in Jesus Christ, 
help us to persevere to the end on the path of truth, conversion, and charity. For this life passes away in a moment. As Pascal wrote, everlasting joy in return for a single day's effort on earth. End of quote. This, again, this, this might be my favorite thing that Pope Francis has ever written, so check it out on Blaise Pascal. Got to take a break here on the K.O. Clark Show. We'll be right back after this. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Uh, I don't know if you know this tune. It's called Burning Bridges by One Republic. It's a great tune. And you know what? When it comes to burning bridges, especially at work, a lot of people used to say this is a career killer for you. Uh, but th- times are changing. Now, a little caveat here. We're not saying to throw your former employer under the bus or drag them in public or anything. It's not what we're saying at all. But uh, BBC has an interesting article. And uh, thanks to Patrick Alog, by the way, for, for sending this to me. If you have a show idea, an article you want to send me, something you think I might have a take on, you know what this show is about, Faith, Facts, and Fun. You can email me, kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. This is a piece by Leah Carroll, writing for BBC. And uh, she talks about this, uh, this gal named Abby, and, and doesn't give her full name because there might be professional ramifications for her if she does. So Abby... Um, was working at a U.S.-based magazine. She was an editor, and she had this bunch of ideas that she wanted to bring to a work meeting, and and every time she tried to speak, she kept getting interrupted by other people, and she finally just had it. She kind of lost it, and she blurted out, Can I just finish my thought? Everybody got really quiet. And for two days, she got the silent treatment from her coworkers. On the third day, (laughs) ominously on the third day, she got a call from H.R., Never want to get a call from HR. Although it's always nice to hear from Val, who's our HR director at Relevant Radio. She's the best. But she, unfortunately, in Abby's case, it was bad news. It wasn't a friendly phone call. She'd lost her job. Now, did she lose her job just because she blurted that out in the meeting? Probably not. There's probably some other stuff going on there, too. But losing her cool burned the bridge that she'd built. And she also felt that she had destroyed her career in the magazine industry. So this, this idea of bridge burning, that can happen in a lot of ways in a lot of different careers. And some people do, uh, and I think it's in, in per, I personally think it's in really bad taste. They publicly, publicly disparage a former employer. They might write a LinkedIn post. Yeah, I used to work for this company and they're all idiots, you know, or something. Um, it's, it's long been considered a career killer to burn bridges. It can ruin your reputation, make it tough for you to find a job. But things are kind of shifting a little bit. According to the experts, bridge burning at work, there's a right way to do this, maybe. Uh, Okay, what what am am I talking about here? Well, uh, in this article uh, on uh, on BBC on the website, we'll put a link to this uh, as well by Leah Carroll in the show notes. She talks about how um, workers are becoming increasingly vocal about workplace issues. And maybe this has happened to you. You can call in 888-914-9149, 914 
9149. This was uh, sent to me by Patrick Alog. Patrick, are you trying to say that you're feeling that I'm toxic to work with? I hope not. But uh, at any rate, maybe this is a subtle, uh, I don't know, a message that he's trying to send. I'm only kidding, Patrick. But uh, workers are now, they're a little bit more vocal about toxic job environments. And and it and and they're speaking out about it. If they're if they're in a toxic workplace, they're now starting to talk about that. Uh, and 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 some experts say that it's actually necessary to get some of this stuff out, because if you don't, if you really are leaving a toxic workplace, you might not want to say anything about it for fear that it might harm your future job prospects. But what about all the people who are still working there, or who might work there in the future? What about them? They're going to have to deal with this. And so sometimes this is, this is good. It can promote positive change in an organization. So where does this term come from? Most of you guys know this, but the idea of burning your bridges, it's also known other, form, other explorers burned the boats when they arrived in new shores. And they, they, the Romans used to do this all the time. When they went into a new territory, they destroyed the bridge behind them so there was no way the soldiers could retreat. They were going to have to fight. They were going to have to deal with it. And they couldn't run away. So, obviously, in the context of work, this is damaging a relationship to the point that when you leave, you might become professionally alienated. There's no going back. Um, you might never have good relationships with those people you used to work with again. You might lose your career connections, all of that stuff. And that, that certainly does happen. But, but again, um, here's the flip side of it. Here's the other side of the coin. When you, when you think about, I shouldn't burn a bridge when I leave a job. That might be to protect you, but it can also protect a bad employer. Because if you don't make known what, what some of the issues are, th- this, this fear of repercussions that can silence you, um, poor work environments can, can endure with no consequences, according to uh, Leah Carroll. So it makes it hard for people to tell the truth. Like if you're a manager in an organization, you, you certainly want to know what's really going on. You certainly want your employees to be comfortable telling the truth, even if it's an uncomfortable truth, an inconvenient truth, if you will, uh, to, you know, what's going, what's really going on here? And uh, there's, there's all these examples in this article about people who um, kind of push back against toxic cultures, whether it was uh, cultures that were um, discriminatory in some way or bullying, that sort of thing. And one uh, a gal named Kristen, again, name, real name withheld, um, was pushed out. Um, and she had a disability, and she felt she was discriminated against. And she says, now, I really wish I had loudly advocated for myself. It took a toll on my self-confidence. Because when you don't do something empowering, you feel diminished. Uh, that's a good quote. And that, you probably had that feeling. I know I certainly have that when you don't speak up, when you don't advocate for yourself, it's kind of like, ugh, you somehow become smaller because you're not standing up for yourself. And there, there are healthy ways to do that. There are obviously unhealthy ways to do that. You don't want to lash out and, I don't know, topple over the photocopying machine, the water cooler. I don't know. But um, sometimes you gotta, you got to just, if it really is a toxic environment and you leave, in, in a sense... Burning a bridge, you can sort of reclaim that term in another way that you don't want to be connected to a place that has sort of harmed you personally or professionally. You don't want to be sort of in tied to a system that's harmful for other people to work in. So it's kind of more humanizing in that sake. And so they also quote this, uh, they also interviewed for this piece uh, somebody named Sarah uh, Aviram. 
Sarah Aviram. And she's the author of the book, Remotivation. That's a cool title. It's about the remote worker's ultimate guide to life-changing fulfillment. <laughs> that sounds pretty interesting. Life, that, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, that's quite a promise. Life-changing fulfillment. Sign me up. All right. Remotivation. Get it? Remote. Remotivation. Okay. All right. So she basically says that during the pandemic, a lot of people were working remotely and continued to do so. And they felt like their life was out of control. Their entire life was out of control during the pandemic and lockdowns, especially their, their work life. And a lot of people who were working kind of in this toxic office workplace were now kind of at home working. And they realized, man, what was I doing there the whole time? Like, it's just not worth working for a toxic uh, supervisor or, or uh, in an abusive environment. And I, I want to actually work at a job that I can actually enjoy and, and that gives me purpose. And so, and back then, there's a lot of empowerment to kind of do that because during the so-called great resignation, the job market was really, really good. And people were, were sort of, they would take more chances along those lines. But now that sort of the pendulum is sort of swinging back, according to this author, more toward away from the workers and their autonomy. Uh, but they still want to be where they're valued, though. They still want to have a, a fresh start. So even if you're an employer, if you're interviewing somebody and they, and it might sound like they're burning bridges talking talking about their old firm. You can you can actually learn from them. Hey, how not to have a bad, toxic office environment, and, and appreciate the fact that you've got an honest person sitting there who's willing to talk about the issues. But again, there's a difference between uh, being able to speak freely and honestly about your experience and making disparaging public comments about former employers. That's never cool. It's never cool to take personal shots. Uh, but ultimately, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing that. Um, there's a need for self-advocacy. There's a need for calling out bad workplaces. And, and I think that's probably good for everybody, but there's a, there's a right way to do that. So burn the bridges, maybe, in the right way. And uh, certainly, I hope you don't burn your bridge back to the Kale Clark Show. I hope you'll come back tomorrow. So, I never want to listen to this again. No, 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 don't say that. Come back tomorrow, please. We'll be waiting for you. And also on The Faith Explained, 1230 Central, tomorrow, right here on Relevant Radio. Jim Shaper produced... Fan of the Smashing Pumpkins, Patrick Alog took your phone calls. Stay tuned to Relevant Radio. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.